Welcome to our third COVID-19 lockdown data balance podcast, where we continue to focus on mental health and well-being, which is made all the more significant as this week it is Mental Health Awareness Week. Today I'm joined by Dr. Hazel Harrison, where we discuss Zoom fatigue, how to cope with the prolonged situation we all find ourselves in, and practical tips for leaders on how best to support their organisation. Uh, Dr. Hazel, could you um, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, give us an introduction? Yes, so um, I'm a clinical psychologist, and for those of you who've never encountered a clinical psychologist before, um, we are trained um, sort of with two kind of main hats, really. One is around um, research and understanding the research into mental health and well-being, and the other is um, learning how to improve people's mental health and perhaps treat uh, mental health um, problems, uh, such as anxiety or depression. And really, for me, what I'm really interested in is how we learn a bit more about how we take care of our mental health and our well-being and the things we can kind of proactively do to, I suppose, improve our resilience and look after ourselves. Have you seen an increase in people coming to you for support? Well, I think it's been an interesting time, really, because I suppose one of the things that is happening is that perhaps people are turning a little bit more to some of the sort of psychology research to try and understand human behaviour at the moment, to try and understand how we're going to adapt to different working environments and different ways of working. Uh, and also, I suppose, what will enable us to do this as sort of healthily as we can from a psychology perspective, when perhaps some of our kind of more basic needs might be a little bit challenged at the moment, for example, not having um, as much social contact with others as, as we might usually have. Yes, that's interesting. Before we started the podcast, you and I spoke about Zoom fatigue and general overexposure to online communication tools. Is this something you have been witnessing? And do you have any advice on how people can combat this? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, became apparent really early on in lockdown was we understand that we are social creatures, that humans need other humans, that that generally when we don't have social interaction with others, um, you know, it, it can have some quite negative consequences for our physical and mental health. And so I think there was quite a lot of, um, you know, us psychologists being quite verbal and saying, listen, it's really important that you stay connected, try to reduce your isolation as much as possible from an emotional perspective, even if you are physically isolating um, and, and, you know, try and make sure that you're connecting with lots of different people. But I suppose what we realised um, quite quickly was that if people are using um, tools like Zoom or Teams to, you know, um, work and maintain contact with their colleagues. And then they're also using this system to perhaps chat, catch up with their friends and maybe also to, you know, check in with their family members. Then after a while, this is the only sort of method of interaction that you're perhaps using. And it isn't very um, natural for us to communicate in this way. It does put some different barriers around our communication. For example, there could be a slight delay in our speech uh, between when one person you know, is speaking and what the other person's hearing. And so if you're talking and seeing someone else's face, you might think, why aren't they smiling? Or why do they look happy when I've just said something that you know isn't sort of joyful or whatever it might be? And it challenges us, I suppose, cognitively to have to think much harder because of these 
slight clunky aspects of the technology that mean that our conversation isn't as smooth flowing as it might be if we were sitting in the same room as someone else. But also I think the thing about Zoom is the very sort of difficult aspect of allowing there to be some space there. If you were down in, you know, in a pub, sitting around the pub with others, there might be natural pauses in conversation and that would be okay. But I think sometimes using technology, you know, we have to feel that a bit more, perhaps it's a bit more effortful as well. So I suppose for, for some of those reasons and probably many others, um, actually lots of people were finding they were feeling quite exhausted from having a day of communicating using technology. Yeah, I, I, I certainly can relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of uh, uh, people in Kubrick could relate to that too. Um, one of the things that uh, I've certainly been noticing is that when the lockdown happened um, towards the end of the March, there was a huge um, amount of effort and a lot of people were very verbal about um, how to cope with the lockdown and, and hyper aware of um, people's mental health and, and also you know, things like LinkedIn was full of tips on how to work better. And I've noticed a real reduction in that. And I do wonder that if there could be a bit of a blind spot being created at the moment where it's just the norm. So therefore, large employers could be in danger of not realising actually this is the time when some people might be even suffering even more. Some people might be loving it. But actually, this could be a real critical time to be able to check in with your teams. Would you have any... Um, tips on how they can um, help people or how they could assess how their team is coping? I think that's a really good question because I suppose initially we did have that perhaps real challenge in adapting because you know none of us had really done this before we weren't quite sure what to do and like you said I saw those things on LinkedIn too where it was just like lots of people being really helpful and offering advice and that has tapered off now and probably because we've adapted a little bit and I think what we're going to start to see now is the advice about how to help people get back to work and as we're starting to ease lockdown, what, what some of those challenges might be. But I think from an organisational perspective, I suppose one of the sort of most basic things is obviously knowing your team um, and having that sense of psychological safety so that people can speak up and say, I'm finding this quite challenging right now, or actually for me, this really isn't working, or I need to do something slightly differently. And I suppose we have to, as kind of leaders and those who are perhaps in those roles of sort of um, managing others, make it okay for people to say that they're not okay. And I know it's such a cliche that it's okay to not be okay. But but in reality, that has to be modelled, I think, through organisations as well. And it has to really um, feel safe enough for people to say, I'm struggling with this right now. And I'm sure that there are lots of people that are struggling. You know, there's a lot of ambiguity and accompanied with that, I guess, is a sense of uncertainty. And when we're uncertain about how things are going to play out, it can, for some of us, really increase our anxiety as well. So... If we can now focus on employees and what they can do to better cope with this situation, what advice would you give? I suppose if we want to stay for a moment in just sort of perhaps those who are listening who might be feeling that sense of increased anxiety, I think one of the really helpful things is to remind yourself about why we feel anxious in the first place. So we've evolved to experience anxiety because it has kept us safe. And so to some degree, we would say that there's a healthy functional aspect of feeling anxious right now that many of us will be experiencing. There is a very clear and present danger and it would be unusual for some of us if we weren't experiencing some anxiety around that because it is 
um, you know, demonstrating some sort of threat to us, perhaps to our family members, uh, I guess threats in all sorts of ways. Some people may be experiencing a financial threat as well as perhaps the potential health threat. Um, so, so anxiety is there to protect us. And it's important that we understand that because I think some people see anxiety as a sign of perhaps weakness or a sign that, you know, that they're, they're not capable or they're not coping. And actually, you know, I think there is a necessary part of what's happening right now that means that it's very normal for us all to feel anxious. And I don't think we have to kind of pathologize that too much and turn that into some sort of, you know, um, diagnosis in that way. However, um, if that anxiety feels like it's spiraling and actually getting to a point where it's really impacting on daily functioning, then we might want to start thinking about okay you know this is perhaps moved from being functional to being something that is dysfunctional for me or unhelpful and I suppose what I became really curious about is the different responses that we can have in relation to sort of stressful experiences and we understand that we have this fight or flight response which is I guess the one I'm sort of touching on now that is about how we've evolved to be able to kind of prime ourselves to respond to danger but we also have other stress responses that are available to us too. Uh, one is perhaps more of a kind of challenge response so when we feel and recognize that we're you know facing some sort of threat that we look at what strengths we have as an individual and how those strengths might be able to be used to help us to cope with what you know what's being thrown at us so for example you know if you um, feel that you have a real strength of humor then are there ways that you can kind of tap into that right now to help you manage some of the anxiety around um, the, the challenges that you're facing? Or perhaps one of your strengths is in emotional or social intelligence. And so can you connect with others and use those connections to enable you to cope? Uh, and, and I suppose coupled with that and, and very fitting for Mental Health Awareness Week, which is the theme this, this week is all around kindness, what we also know is that we have a stress response, which some people call the kind of tend and befriend stress response. And that I, really underpins a lot of the very brave and courageous behaviours that we see happening during a crisis. It's, it's what mobilises some people to go kind of above and beyond and to do sort of almost superhuman things. It taps into our stress response, which is about protecting others as well as ourselves and for some of us actually it might be that if we're experiencing heightened anxiety one way to sort of relieve that in some ways is actually to perhaps think about how we can help others and what small acts of kindness we might be able to do to help someone else and that may sound a bit flippant and like well that's not really going to help me but the science would suggest that actually it could that, that we can sort of tap into this different stress response and therefore cause a different changes in our body. We might release a bit more oxytocin, uh, which can help us feel brave and courageous, but also help us feel connected to others that may diminish some of our sort of anxiety response. So I think understanding what your stress response, how your stress response has evolved and why we feel anxious in the first place, and then deciding, is this a challenge mindset that you can tap into? Or can you find a way to tend and befriend may all be ways that we can sort of explore that can start to help us to manage some of this anxiety. Really interesting, especially about the, um, the kindness theme. Do you have any advice in how people can get involved with Mental Health Awareness Week? 
So the Mental Health Foundation generally set the theme each year. And this year they, they chose kindness in response to the pandemic. Actually, they shifted what they thought the theme was going to be sleep, which is also really important. I'm sure we'll come back to that theme at some point. But they shifted it to being kindness because that just seemed like such an appropriate theme for this year. Uh, so if you go on their website, there's um, some great downloads that you can um, find out to learn more about the sort of science of kindness and how doing good for others can actually be helpful for us too. But they've also um, been sharing, and I'm sure they will be continue to share just little ideas of things that we could all do, small acts of kindness. And I think this is the thing that at some point people get sort of, oh, I've just not got time. Like I'm just trying to manage, you know, maybe looking after children as well as working from home or whatever it might be. And it doesn't feel like you can fit this into your day. But their suggestions are very small things, you know, maybe just sending someone a voice message or arranging, you know, to watch a film with someone else who perhaps is, is at home on their own as a way to just sort of connect. So it doesn't always have to be like really grand gestures of kindness, actually. I think small acts of kindness can be just as powerful. And what we know is that there is some science behind paying it forward. So if you did some kind act for someone else, actually, you make it much more likely that they will respond in a kind way to someone else too. And I think that's what's so sort of captivatingly exciting about kindness is the possibility that we can ripple it through organisations, through families, you know, through communities just with acts, small acts of kindness. And finally, we are obviously uh, now starting to get ready to what the new normal looks like. I don't think really any of us quite know what that is. But for some people, it is returning back to work and returning back to the workplace. Perhaps they may have been a prolonged time on furlough. And I don't know if you've read this, but there seems to be a few more stories coming out in the press where... Um, quite a lot of nervousness for some people about returning to work because we're quite habitual creatures and I think some people perhaps have enjoyed furlough and the uh, simpler life. Yes and I suppose one of the really key things to say is that we have been primed over the last couple of months to understand that staying at home means staying safe right. This has been the massive campaign to stay home, to save lives, to protect the NHS and so if we're now saying, oh, no, you don't have to stay home to be safe, it's going to take us a while to adjust to that and to fully understand what that means and what that looks like um, for us as individuals and where that line is, I suppose, because for some people um, it, it, it may feel incredibly threatening right now just to leave the home. For others, it may be that there are certain things that they feel they're able to do and certain things that perhaps they're not quite ready to do yet or want to see um, how it's being managed before they really kind of, you know, give it a try themselves. So I suppose I think it's normal for people to feel worried because we understand, as I said, that, you know, when we're talking about our anxiety response, there is still a threat. We we don't yet have a va vaccine and there will still be, I suppose, some challenges for us in how we navigate this to keep ourselves safe, to keep other people safe, to make sure that we don't um, unnecessarily spread the virus, we want to, you know, keep it as low as possible. So I suppose, you know, for businesses and thinking about how to support employees in coming back, I think it would be really important to have those discussions and to be open, to be honest about what people are nervous about and, and to see whether there's ways that can be adapted so that we can 
test the water a bit, I guess, and find what works for, for, for one person, which may not work for someone else, you know? So I suppose that's why it's important to have these conversations and to be open about what those worries might be and to start to explore those and unpick those. And some of them may be really grounded in sensible facts and some of them may be just a sort of cascade of worries and, and just need looking at because they m- might be a little bit kind of catastrophizing and it's always good that we voice our sort of catastrophized fears as well and, and kind of look at them objectively sometimes. Well, I think that brings us to a, a natural conclusion. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Simon.